So, as we said earlier, we're going to be looking at two things this morning. Um, Evidence and experience. So I'm going to be doing evidence. We're going to be thinking this morning, did Jesus rise from the dead? Is it plausible to believe that this actually happened? But before we get serious, I'm going to give you my best Easter joke. Yeah, I know. So sorry. (laughs) What do you get if you pour boiling water down a rabbit hole? Oh, God's bunny. You're too good. Why was the Easter bunny so upset? He's having a bad hair day. (laughs) A girl's parents accused her of being a liar. She looked them in the face and she said, Tooth fairy, Santa, Easter bunny. And when we look at at Jesus... His existence can often be thought of a little bit like that. People think, well, he couldn't possibly have existed. His life, his resurrection can be very much thought of in those terms, a myth or something to be joked about. Last year, there was a survey conducted in the UK It was called Talking Jesus. And it was a really big survey conducted by the Church of England, Evangelical Alliance and Hope. And they wanted to establish perceptions of Jesus and Christians and evangelism in the UK. What they found, some might say, was astounding and some might say sad. They found that one in four 18 to 34-year-olds thought that Jesus was a mythical or a fictional character. Now, there is near universal consensus among scholars that Jesus existed. But what of his other claims? What of his claim to be God in human form? And what of the central driving force and hope of the Christian faith? that Jesus rose from the dead. Is it something that we as 21st century intelligent, enlightened men and women can credibly believe? Is there evidence or is it just a matter of personal belief, perhaps a leap of faith? Is there a rope that we can truly trust in? The belief in the resurrection has come under loads of fire recently. Even amongst Christians, the question has arisen, do we need to believe in the resurrection? Can we just take Jesus without this bit? Are his teachings enough of a moral guide to be satisfied with? Would the church look any different if they didn't believe in the resurrection, if it was indeed a made-up story from emotional and hysterical women. Well, the resurrection is key. It is the pivotal rotation point of the Christian faith. Right from the start, as we'll see in a moment, the resurrection of Jesus forms the foundation of the Christian faith. And without it, everything topples. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. You are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep are lost. And he adds, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. So when we look at the accounts of eyewitnesses at the time, we need to ask ourselves, from the evidence available to us, if true, what would be the best explanation? When we look at the evidence, we see that the truth of the resurrection has solid historical grounds, and it emerges as the best explanation. (laughs) So we need to establish two truths. Firstly, the empty tomb, without which none of the sightings of Jesus could hold up to be true. Many people claim, for example, that they've seen Elvis. But we know that this is indeed his grave. We could dig him up if we wanted to. Secondly, the real encounters, the eyewitnesses, without which the empty tomb could imply many different things. So together, these two will lead us to the best explanation, that that Christ was resurrected from the dead. Now, we haven't got loads of time this morning. You can read loads of brilliant books on this, and I'll tell you, and there's some great stuff online, and you can watch it for a good hour and a half. We've got 15 minutes, so we're going to whiz on through. So let's look at the objections to these two pivotal points that we need to establish this morning. Firstly, the empty tomb. So some might say the tomb wasn't empty, and the disciples were confused, or they made it up. They were liars. Well, the first counter-argument is obviously that people could just go and look. Okay? The details around his, um, Jesus' burial were very specific. We know which tomb it was, Joseph of Arimathea. We know he was in the Jewish ruling class. It's mentioned. It isn't like they could mistake the tomb People could just go and look. There is no shrine for Jesus' bones. At the time, there were over 50 different shrines for religious people in that area of the world that people would pilgrimage to and go and visit the bones of. Today, if you, um, well, you wouldn't, but in the past, if you were to go to Syria and Damascus, they claim that they have some of the bones of John the Baptist. But nowhere is it claimed that they have bones of Jesus. It just isn't there. Some people have said perhaps it's just legendary language that the the gospel writers are using. Well, there is no style of legendary language in their accounts. Perhaps it was made up, they say. Well, the women discovered the tomb. If they wanted to make this up, they would not be writing that women discovered the tomb. And I'll tell you why. 
Because in that culture at the time, women's testimony stood for nothing. So if you wanted to make up a lie, you would not be using women as your primary evidence givers. And, of course, finally, positive evidence from hostile sources. In historical terms, when they look at it, they see that those who would have been very opposed to there being an empty tomb never denied that the tomb was empty. They merely looked for reasons why it was empty. So no one had a motive to spread a lie about the empty tomb. The soldiers would have lost their life. The disciples, they had no belief that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. They had run away, and that was not in their minds. And the religious leaders had much to lose by saying the tomb was empty. Here's a quote from the theologian Delane. He wrote, It is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological and philosophical assumptions. So we can know historically that there was A, Jesus, B, he died, and in terms of the resurrection, there was an empty tomb. So what about our second bit of evidence, the real encounters? We have recorded eyewitness statements from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And further historical documents point to over 500 people seeing Jesus. And a common objection here comes in, but what about the differences? These accounts don't always agree. They don't fit neatly together. For example, how many women went to the tomb or how many angels were seen? Where did Jesus appear to his disciple? And these serpent discrepancies that we see, in fact, point to something quite different. They point to a real account. They are not tidied up or all made to agree, informity, but in fact, they are vivid and original accounts from these people. Just in the same way, we might, after the service, very sadly, walk out and witness an accident. Now, one person might say to us, the car was green. But someone else amongst us say, well, I think the car was blue. And then later, someone might say, well, the driver got immediately out of the car. And someone else might say, actually, I think someone helped the driver out of the car. But despite the discrepancies in our accounts that we give to the police, one thing the police can conclude without any doubt is that an accident did happen. So let's consider some of the objections to the sightings. They were lying, hallucinating, Jesus wasn't dead, they were mistaken, or it was a spiritual experience. Firstly, lying. It is unlikely that so many people would lie about this event. Firstly, no one expected the Messiah to rise from the dead. 
It was only afterwards that people began to work out scriptures that point to this. There had been many messianic movements before this and after. They usually ended in the death of the leader, and then the followers found a new messiah. Here, though, Peter is terrified. So terrified of death, he denies that he knows Jesus. The disciples are so convinced, though, after seeing Jesus, that they are now willing to die for that claim. These first followers of Jesus showed something utterly remarkable. They did a complete 180 degree turn and were willing to be fed to animals, sawn in two, or set on fire for the unshakable belief that they had seen Jesus alive. Secondly, if you're going to create a lie, like we said earlier, the last thing you would do would be to use women. They would not have been believed. In fact, in the Gospels they go, they are often not believed. In later writings, if you look at Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, sadly you see that the women are not recorded. What about hallucinating? Maybe there was mass hallucination. Perhaps the people wanted it to be so true that despite the overwhelming evidence, they still said they had seen Jesus. Well, Thomas, that we saw on the video, is a really good example. He thought the disciples were utterly crazy for what they said. And he said he wouldn't believe it unless he was able to touch the wounds, put his hand in Jesus' side. And yet afterwards, Thomas too is utterly convinced and eventually will die for that belief. Peter, who chosen to abandon Jesus, he too, although terrified and disappointed and withdrawn, turns around completely and testifies to hundreds of people that he has seen the Lord. And finally, what about Paul? A man who hated the church, believed strongly Jesus was not the Messiah. There was no way he had risen from the dead. The disciples were indeed lying. They had stolen the body. You could not get a man more convinced that it was wrong. And yet when Jesus appears to him, he is so convinced that he completely changes and plants church after church after church, enduring persecution, humiliation, beatings, shipwrecks, and eventually he too dies for that belief that he has seen Jesus risen from the dead. Hallucination of so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many settings does not fit. What about the claim some people say Jesus wasn't dead? He just looked dead. The Roman soldiers knew how to kill people. In fact, they checked that Jesus was dead by putting a sword in his side. And no disciple would have been convinced by a half-dead, bleeding Jesus, a resuscitated corpse. In fact, what they describe is not that at all. 
they describe a radically transformed body, fully alive in front of them. What about the fact they might have been mistaken? They merely thought they saw Jesus, but perhaps it was one of his brothers. Well, this doesn't fit either. If the women had mistakenly saw someone else and thought it was Jesus, surely this would have been sorted out really quickly as well. And no one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. The women went to the tomb with spices to put on the body. They were not anticipating, maybe we'll see him. They were convinced he was dead and they were going to anoint the body. Their first response is someone has taken the body. But they are completely convinced when they see him. And finally, what about this idea of a spiritual experience? The disciples merely felt Jesus' presence. Yet these early Christians, they could have experienced this. In fact, this would have been much more culturally appropriate to see a spiritual form, a ghostly-like form before them. And also, a bodily future existence was not anticipated or desired by Jewish or non-Jewish thinking. But this is not what the accounts say. They say he ate fish with them, that he was physical, they could hug him, touch his wounds. And right from the start, we see that the Christians have a new belief, one never comprehended before where people say that they borrowed their ideas from culture. This is completely new. This is different. A resurrected body that uses up the old body and creates something new. This is a concept not borrowed, entirely new. So we are left, sorry, with the evidence. An empty tomb and hundreds of witnesses. When we look at the historical evidence, the only reasonable conclusion is to conclude that Jesus has risen from the dead. Well, we've seen uh, that there's good evidence for knowing that Jesus existed as a historical person. And however unusual and unlikely it might be, we've seen as well that there's very good reason to believe that he rose again from the dead. That it is actually the best explanation of the facts that we have. But, so what? That's what I've been asked. So what? Um, Lou, when we discussed it, she, she kind of arranged most of the service and said, I want you to talk about so what? <laughs> and I remember it took me back to being in the junior school when uh, one of, I think it was one of my friends, I can't quite remember the exact person, I remember the experience, could have been my sister actually, who, you know, went through a stage where if you said something, they'd say, maybe you had that experience, so what? You know, and it kind of a bit deflating really, and I, I was there for a moment, but, but I realized what was being said here. So what then? Lots of historical events have happened. Actually, when you think about it, everything that's ever happened is a historical event, isn't it? By definition. 
It's not difficult to, to get hold of that. Why should this event affect us in, in, in any particular way? Uh, we could just eat the eggs. Or we could kind of see it, I suppose, eating the eggs, enjoying the eggs, thinking about what it's talking about as a historical event even. Perhaps like the Easter uprising that everyone in Ireland are talking about um, uh, at the moment. It's kind of something that happened, but, but well, you know. Well, I want us to go back to the Bible passage. It's on, in John 20. No need to turn to it. But you remember from the film that we saw of the passage, particularly that part at the end when Jesus comes and, and appears with the disciples, comes among them. And says to them, peace. Remember that? He says, peace to them. And then he shows them his hands and side. And it says that they're overjoyed to see the Lord. And then he passes something on to them. He says something and he does something. And certainly Jesus being alive made a huge difference to their experience, didn't it? Uh, but it would, wouldn't it? He's alive. Their friend, their teacher, he's back. Uh, God had done an amazing miracle, uh, but that wasn't the first resurrection they would have seen because Lazarus was brought back from the dead. Jesus, on one occasion, touched the, uh, there was a dead body in front of him belonging to uh, uh, a widow's son, and the widow was there, and he took compassion. He touched the, the dead body of the, the, the man or the young man. He rose from the dead. So it wasn't even the first resurrection they'd seen as disciples. And so as Jesus arrives, they obviously think, whoa, you know, yeah, this is a great miracle. And he says, peace be to you. The normal greeting, shalom in Hebrew, salam, salam aleikum in, in Arabic. It's the, the it's a kind of universal greeting in those two languages. It just means peace. But it's not just that they've got their friend back, is it? Because he shows them his hands and side. And, they, and the text tells us that they, they know that it's the Lord the Lord. Ah, now this is different, isn't it? Because this wasn't just anyone who'd come back from the dead. This person who'd just come back from the dead had said and done such a lot of things, very unusual things. It wasn't just that it was uh, their friend. He'd made promises. He'd made claims. He taught them stuff about God, particularly about what he, Jesus, could do for people. And if you read John's Gospel, which you can if you like, we've got a few on the table out there. If you've not got one, pick one up and take it home and read it. Um, as you read it all through, he's done amazing things, said incredible things. He said he was like a shepherd for the human race who would bring people home to God. He said he could give people eternal life from God. He said he would give his life for people as we were celebrating on Good Friday two days ago here. He said he was the way to God. He said he was the truth about God. He said he is the life of God. He said we can come to God through him. He said before it happened that he would be crucified, actually. He said he would be lifted up. Actually, we'll see that in John 3 when we come to it. He was uh, talking to someone. He said, there's a story in the Old Testament about uh, on one occasion, everyone was sick and people were dying in the community. And for, I won't go into the details, but some of you know this story. Uh, a pole was raised up and people looked at the pole and they were healed from their sicknesses and they didn't die. And Jesus said in that conversation, just like that in the desert, I'm going to be lifted up. And he uses the phrase for being crucif crucified. He said, like that pole, people can look at me and they're going to find life. I'm an amazing kind of claim. He said in other places that he was going to give his life as a ransom 
the way to get people out of spiritual slavery. All those things he said and much, much more that he was the king, the one who God would send to put everything right. And all those promises had just died with him, were behind the stone in the tomb for those disciples. That's the point. And now he's back. And the promises are true. It's all happening. It kind of gives everything else, he says, makes sense. On one occasion, he said this. It's in uh, John 5, verse 24. I might be coming on the screen. Um, I'll read it to you. If you want to follow it, it's on page 1069. But it's just one verse. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. One of the things Jesus said. You see, we need all those things that Jesus promised, don't we, for ourselves. We need someone to bring us to God. We need the shepherd to give us life. We need that release from slavery, spiritual slavery, and all kinds of other slaveries that we get ourselves into. We need that eternal life. Our souls, our very beings need healing and need refreshment. We need this. This stuff that Jesus promises, we know as the disciples knew, we need that. Because we're people who need it. We're people who need that life because we know, if we are honest about it, that that there's a part of us that is dead to God. And Jesus can bring us to life. Like he said, we can cross over from death to life. So when Jesus says to the disciples the second time, peace be with you, now it's not just a kind of greeting. He's not just coming as their friend and he's back. He's saying, peace to you, I'm the Lord who's brought God's peace. And they know as they see him, as Thomas did, they believe and they know that he's the one. He's the Lord. It becomes personal for them as they trust him. And that can, that can be so for us too. Because we need what, we, what he gives. We need that if we're honest. And when we turn and trust him, then we get touched by his resurrection. We experience it because we come to life spiritually. But there's more. There's more than that. Jesus tells them as well that he's going to send them. Did you notice that? He said, I'm sending you now. Just as he was sent, Jesus says, just as God had sent him, he's going to send the disciples. Jesus came on a kind of peace mission. He came to reconcile human beings back to God. You see, we're kind of out of relationship with God as the human race. Actually, we've taken the whole of the kind of created order with us, but that's another story. And Jesus came on this, this kind of peace mission. The biggest symptom of the problem is death. And Jesus starts by kind of defeating that. And his beginning, he says, I'm putting things back together again. I'm, the, I'm on this peace mission. And disciples, you can get involved in it too. It's your peace mission as well, he says. So he gives them this new kind of purpose. They experience the resurrection as they get this new purpose that Jesus has for them. On the peace mission with him. That's us, by the way. If we're followers of Jesus, we've got that same new resurrection purpose on that peace mission with him. As he puts things back together, as we share what he's done for us, 
as we experience his new life in us. We share it. It's a reason to get up in the morning because we're on that mission with him. We're his ambassadors. Everyone else can know. We have that new purpose. But how can we do that? Those of you who have probably been Christians a while have heard people going on about how, you know, how we should be going out and sharing stuff and being on the, on the mission for a... Well, how does that happen? Where does this new life come from? Well, there's a new power. Did you notice that? Jesus tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. See, that was in the video as well. It's in John 20. Just like at the very beginning in Genesis, God breathed life into Adam, it says in Genesis 1, and he became a living being, a, a living kind of creature that was alive to God. And uh, Jesus breathes on them and says there's a new creation starting, something new. That's how we're made alive. This new purpose, we become new people, new kinds of people completely. God's life in us. We have a new purpose, a new life And that's all part of the resurrection too. How was Jesus raised from the dead? Well, Romans 8 verse 11 tells us this. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we have this new purpose by the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus, this resurrection, we can experience, we can know it, we can know this peace with God, we can be restored into relationship with God, we can know a new purpose as we live for him, we can know God's power at work in our lives because the Holy Spirit, the resurrection becomes our experience, the life of Jesus in us. So we experience the resurrection through that peace we can have with God, through a new purpose on the peace mission and knowing that the Holy Spirit's power is at work in us. How about that? Is that something we want to live this Easter, this coming year? I'm going to suggest that during our next song, which is about the Kappen, if the band are up there, yeah, we're already up there, that's good. We might like to respond to that. And we're going to respond, if you'd like to, you don't have to, by kind of moving around a bit, if you'd like to do that. Uh, doing something is often helpful because it kind of, you can have something kind of in here, in your mind. And, but, you know, if you kind of take an action, it helps to kind of, kind of get it out there, as it were. And that's what I'm going to ask us to do, if you'd like to do that. And when I gave my life to Jesus, um, for myself, I was about 11, 12 years old. I knew that I had to do something, uh, and it was very helpful for me to do that. I was actually at a Christian camp, and, and all through the week they were saying, if, you, if you're going to really make this choice to follow Jesus for yourself, come to the leader's hut, and there's going to be a little meeting. I remember all through the day thinking, I should, I should go to that, and I did. And I, I didn't become a Christian because I went to the hut and went to a meeting, but, but I knew that I needed to make this for me, and so I did that. That's why actually baptism is such a helpful thing because it kind of gets what's in here, in your heart, out as you're baptized in the water. It kind of becomes 
not more real, but what's inside is kind of expressed in an outward way. It's why if you're a believer, you really need to be baptized because you're missing something if you haven't been. So what I'm suggesting is that we all do do something. Now, I've got some stones here. They're in these little um, pots. And um, there's a stone. And if you want to respond in some way today, if you're saying, this Easter day, I want to... I want to make something, I want to make a decision to, well, different ways you can make it really. But I'm saying in the next song, why not just come out and pick up one and just keep it, take it home, put it in your pocket. I need to warn you that um, they're a little bit, so they're okay, they're a little bit soft. No, they're okay. But if you're worried about the little bit of dust that might come off them, there's a tissue, you can wrap it up and put it in your pocket. Okay. Got to be practical about these things. It's just a reminder, the stone rolled away, the tomb was empty, so when you look at it in the future, you'll know that's true. So it could be that you come down here, you get this stone, you think, I want that new life in Jesus now, I've not had it, I want that peace with God. And I'm not kind of getting it by picking up a stone, but I will pray with someone afterwards, or I will use try praying or I will sign up for that Alpha party, but I'm just saying that I've got this stone to remind myself that that's what I want to do. Or you could be saying, as I am, because I'm going to keep this one, I want to live for that purpose. I want to be on that peace mission with Jesus. I want my life to be like that. And uh, this stone reminds me that I, I want to experience that resurrection. That's my intention. Actually, I might get another one. No, I'll probably just keep this one because you might be saying, I need the Holy Spirit more in my life. And I, today I'm picking up a stone as a kind of symbol and a kind of active prayer for God to do something. So we're going to, the band are going to lead us in this song. And if you'd like to, no pressure, don't feel you have to. Uh, the point is we're going to worship Jesus as we sing this song. So no one bothers about who's picking up stones or not. We want to be thanking God for what Jesus has done. But if it will help you, because it helps me, um, uh, you know, get a hold of it. And if you then want to pray with someone afterwards or do something more, then do that. But it's just a way of kind of doing something tangible. Okay? Let's pray before we sing. Lord, we thank you that we can experience the resurrection by coming alive to God, by knowing that involvement on the peace mission with Jesus and by being filled and just living in need and aware that we need you, Holy Spirit, more in our lives. And we pray that whether we stay where we are or whatever we do, we pray, Lord, that we may honor and glorify you in our lives through this year. Thank you that Easter is a new beginning. We pray that it may be for each of us here as we serve and follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.